Today, I will be bringing our study of Philippians to a close. I'm bringing it to a close today because that is what Paul seems to be doing at the end of the letter here in Philippians 4, 4. So if you would please open God's word with me there and let's look at this joyful passage together this morning. Look with me in Philippians 4, 4 to verse 9 to begin with this morning. The Apostle Paul writes this beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is what we want to do this morning. We want to think about these things that were written in the book of Philippians for our edification and for God's glorification. In Philippians 4, 4-9, Paul is closing out his letter to the Philippians. And he's doing so by reminding the saints to simply rejoice in the Lord's goodness and His grace. And that's what I want to do today. I want to follow Paul's example. I think I'm commanded to follow Paul's example, actually. And I should remind you of the same things. I want to remind you of five reasons this morning why we should rejoice in the Lord according to the book of Philippians. It's a summary, if you will, of the letter. First, we should... Rejoice in the Lord because of his preserving power. And secondly, we should rejoice in the Lord because of his providential plan. And thirdly, we should rejoice in the Lord because of his perfect provision. And fourthly, we should rejoice in the Lord because of his peaceful promise. And fifthly, we should rejoice in the Lord because of his precious people. This is the summary of the book of Philippians. I think that's what Paul is doing as he brings the letter to a close. He's bringing back into focus all the things that he's already covered and say, saying to the saints, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in what he has given you. The first, first reason we should rejoice in the Lord is, is revealed in Philippians 1, 6 to 11. Let me read that to you this morning. It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ 
Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled or controlled with the fruit of righteousness that comes, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In this, in this passage, Paul is rejoicing. He is, he is rejoicing over the saints and the work of God in the saints. Paul encourages us to do that this morning. Paul encourages us to rejoice in, number one, the Lord's preserving power that is at work in all the saints. Notice how many times he mentions all in that passage. He calls them partners. He calls them co-laborers. Because of this preserving power that is at work in them for the glory of God through Christ. It's, it's the Lord's preserving power that grants confidence to discouraged and doubting saints. That's what these saints were struggling with. Their great apostle Paul was in prison. And they were beginning to doubt not only their, their work and their calling, but even maybe their salvation. And they were discouraged. And so God gives us this great reminder to help us to rejoice in his preserving power. We're constantly reminded of this in Scripture. We're constantly reminded to rejoice in the Lord because because God is the source of our salvation. Because God's powerful love is what draws us to Christ. And it's God's powerful love that protects us. It doubly protects us and preserves us for eternity in Christ. According to John 10, if you would turn there with me. John 10, 27 to 29. It is God's powerful love that draws us to the Savior. And it's His love that doubly preserves us in the Savior's work. Look what it says in John 10, 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. It is the Father who is drawing us to the Savior. It is the Father and the Son that are doubly preserving us for eternity here. We are preserved by the love of God. Rejoice in that this morning. When, when, we, are, when we are tempted as Christians to doubt God's love for us or even doubt our salvation, we need to stop and remember this. We need to stop and remember this declaration that Jesus gives us here in John 10, 27 to 29. We need to rejoice in this. We need to rejoice in the fact that's being articulated by the Savior himself that the Lord's powerful protection is ours. We are preserved by his promises. His promises are always yes and amen in Christ. We are preserved as long as Christ is preserved. And Christ is eternal. So this morning, I just want to remind you, that's what we're here to do, is to rejoice in this preserving power that is ours in Christ. So, 
Philippians reminds us of this, to rejoice in the Lord every day, for he is the one preserving us for eternity. Secondly, go back with me to Philippians. The second reason we should rejoice according to Philippians is revealed in Philippians 1, 12 to 24. Let me read that to you this morning to remind you of why we are here to rejoice together in the Lord. In, in verse 12, the apostle writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, that is his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this imprisonment, this suffering, this trial he's talking about, will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which, shall, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But, but to remain in the flesh, to remain in imprisonment, to remain in suffering, he says, is more necessary on your account. And Paul's rejoicing in this. Hear, hear what Paul is doing here. He is, he is illustrating to us how to rejoice in the Lord's providential plan for your life and for your ministry. He is, he is calling us and He is showing us how to, to rejoice in difficulties. Rejoice in the Lord and the One who has a providential plan for your life and for your ministry. It's the Lord's providential plan that grants hope to suffering Christians like Paul and like you and I. We know he's in control. The things that go wrong in our life are, are predetermined for a good purpose in the believer's life. And we know it. But we need to be reminded of it. So Paul is reminding the Philippians that this trial is for the glory of God and the good of the saints. And we're reminded of this over and over again in Scripture we have the stories of the Old Testament. We have the stories of Joseph. We have the stories of Abraham. We have the stories of, of Moses. All these men went through trials. Yet God used them for his glory and the good of God's people. We're reminded in Scripture over and over to rejoice in our trials. Because 
we know that God, we know absolutely certain that God will not waste our suffering. He won't waste our suffering because it can be and shall be used for his glory to magnify his message. It's done over and over again according to the scriptures. Suffering and trials are here because this is a fallen world, a broken world, because sin is rampant in the world. Yet God will not waste even our suffering in the sinful world. He'll turn it into something that magnifies his grace and his truth in the believer's life. That's what happened to Paul over and over again. We see it happening in Philippians. We also see it happening in 2 Corinthians. Go there with me. 2 Corinthians 4. This is a passage I know I've read to you multiple times, but this is a passage that I think every Christian needs to live in. When we suffer and we go through trials, we need to remember there is something much more at stake than our own personal feelings and comforts. The glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that can be magnified when we go through these difficulties. When we turn to him in the midst of these, we're worshiping him and we're showing others that our confidence is in God, not in circumstances. Paul repeated this here over and over in this passage, beginning in verse seven. He says, speaking of the gospel, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about our our flesh. Jars of clay were ignoble. They were not precious. They were cast away very easily. They weren't worth much. But he says, inside of this clay pot, I have eternal treasure. And the reason God put it in this clay pot, he says, was to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He says, we clay pots are afflicted in every way. But he says, because of this thing that's in us, we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. And and he says, here's, here's why. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, that is the gospel. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies and in how we respond to suffering. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us. But life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing this, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. See, see what's what's driving Paul in the midst of suffering and difficulty and persecution is the gospel and the promise of resurrection. He says, my life is not worth much. But the treasure I have is eternally prosperous and transforming. Even my death, even my meager existence on the planet will be used to magnify Jesus. And and don't think when you read this that this is only speaking of the apostle and only of his ministry. He's writing this to the church. He's wanting to encourage us. 
that when you suffer, even if it's not directly related to the gospel, the way in which you suffer and turn in faith to Christ in the midst of that suffering will magnify the gospel. And it will show others that you have sanctified Christ as Lord in your life because you trust in him no matter what circumstances come your way. In verse 15, he says, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The more he loses his life for the sake of others, the more he dies daily to self to serve others, more praise goes to God. The more he sacrifices his time and his energy and his love for others, the more praise God receives from the saints. And so he says in verse 16, I do not lose heart because of this. So, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, listen, we're all wasting away, but are we wasting our wasting away? We're all slowly dying. But are we using our death for the glory of Christ? Do we see the preciousness of our life as something that we could turn back to Christ as an offering and sacrifice? He says, if you do that, this is what will happen. You'll you'll perceive your trials through a, a new set of lenses. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, realize he's being beaten, he's being threatened to, to be put to death. And he calls it light afflictions. In comparison to what we receive in Christ, it is, it is very light. He says it's, it's beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And this is, this is what's reminding, I think, Paul continually throughout his ministry to, to trust in God's providential plan, even in the midst of suffering. He knows that God is at work in his life for a glorious purpose, even through the trials. So, so when we suffer, I think as Christians, directly for the gospel or just simply as a believer in a fallen world, We can stop and remember what he's saying here. What he's saying in Philippians. To live as Christ and die as gain. And even this suffering, he tells the Philippians, is for the glory of God and the good of the saints. We need to stop and remember when we suffer that there are two things that are eternally true. Number one, God is sovereign and God is good. So, therefore, our suffering, according to God's sovereign will, must therefore be good for us and His glory. Remember this. Our fiery trials are not meant to destroy us. They're meant to purify us. They're meant to turn our eyes away from this temporal existence and look to the eternal. They're they're given for the purpose of sanctifying us. The sovereign purpose of the saints' suffering, in part, is to remind us that we are pilgrims on earth. It's not our home. We're ambassadors here for Christ's sake. 
And suffering makes that very clear to us. This broken world and our broken bodies remind us that we look for a city that is eternal, who has a has a builder who is eternal, who is promised to come again and receive us to himself. And our, our suffering helps us remember that our suffering helps burn off the dross of loving this temporal existence too much. And it causes us. To cling to and pursue what is eternal and what is most important, which is Christ. See, the trials, again, may not be directly related, like in Paul's case, to preaching the gospel. But what the trials can do for the true believer is turn us to our creator, our sustainer, and our savior. And that, that cultivates worship in our hearts. And it points the lost to hope that we have in Christ. Paul gives us another reason to rejoice besides that glorious truth. A third reason we should rejoice in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. In Philippians 2, 5 to 13. He writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out or cultivate your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul here in this passage instructs us. He instructs us on how to rejoice in the Lord's perfect provision, which is Christ. That perfect provision that is ours through Christ's humiliation. Previous to this, we're told to follow Christ's example. But Christ is much more than an example. He is the perfect one who lived the life we could never live. It is the Lord's perfect provision that grants us grace-driven motivation in our pursuit of obedience and sanctification. That's the point here. So rejoice as you pursue sanctification because you have this perfect provision in Christ. That's why we pursue it. Not because we're trying to earn it, but because we have all that we need in Jesus. And so we're reminded of that in this passage as we rejoice. We're reminded in Scripture to rejoice in Christ's life. Because God himself sent his son and provided us sinners a perfect substitute to live for us and to change our hearts and change our motives. That's what he tells us 
Even in Galatians 2.20. Look there with me. Rejoice in this. God will be praised. God will conform His people to the image of His Son by grace through faith in what Christ has accomplished. That's what changes us. We have this perfect provision that transforms our hearts and our lives according to verse 20 of chapter 2 in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith or trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to remember this. We need to remember this because all of us in this room struggle with sin and selfishness, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in this perfect provision. When, when you fail, when we fail and we fall into sin and selfishness, we can stop and remember this text. Remember that God sent His Son to conquer sin and selfishness in the flesh for us. In our place. So Paul is simply giving us another reason to rejoice in the Lord. And that being in Christ's accomplishments. Christ's accomplishments are the reason we rejoice and pursue righteousness. That's the motive behind sanctification. The fourth reason we should rejoice in the Lord according to Philippians. Is revealed in Philippians 3. 17. Let me read this to you. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers... Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Do you realize what he's just told you? He is going to transform you. He is going to change you and I. We're going to be like Christ. Do you understand this? This is phenomenal. Rejoice, right? Rejoice in this peaceful promise that's going to even change our Temporal existence. Look what he goes on to say in 4.2. I, I, because of all this truth, he says, I entreat Udiah and I entreat Sintica to agree in the Lord. Two women bickering. I, I entreat them to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life already there. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming quickly. That's what he's meaning there. Do not be anxious about anything. Do away with the bickering, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, or peace with God, that comes through Christ, which surpasses all understanding, that peace that you have now with God because of Christ, he says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's why he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Everything he's mentioned previous to this are those things we need to be thinking about. Paul, Paul is revealing to us something here. He's reminding us and revealing something to us here that we can rejoice in the Lord's peaceful promise that is in this text he will transform us he has guaranteed that to us in christ and he will even transform our immediate circumstances because of this peaceful promise he's telling us rejoice in the lord's peaceful promise when troubles increase even in the church Udaya and syntica are fighting this peaceful promise that your life's going to be changed and that these struggles and these these strives are going to be small in comparison to the promise of eternal life and a new hope in Christ with a resurrected body. It's the Lord's peaceful promise, as we read it in this context, that grants every anxious Christian comfort when we face difficulties, when we face enemies of the cross, when we face conflicts in our life or in the church. This removes anxiety. No pill can do this. Only Christ can do this. Only this peaceful promise that these strife, these strives, these striving and, and fighting, these, these enemies of the cross, these things will be eliminated ultimately and completely in eternity. Look to the prize. Look to the promise. Rejoice in that, he says. We're reminded in Scripture to rejoice when we are anxious. Because the Lord, he says, is at hand. That, that means two things. It means, one, he, he's, he could come any moment. Okay? He's, he's, he's close. But it also means the Lord is near. It means he's near. And who is he near? Well, he's near these two bickering women. He's, too, he's near two women that are broken and needy and in need of God's mercy. So... When you're anxious, rejoice in that. He's close to you. God has promised, according to his word, to care for us. He has promised to care for us personally. He has promised to care for us compassionately. And he has promised to care for us eternally, even in this text. We see this repeated in the Old Testament as well. Psalm 56. This is my hope. This is my comfort when trouble increases. Psalm 56, verse 3. Trouble will increase. Enemies will increase. Strife will increase. But this remains true and abiding in the midst of all this. The Lord is near the needy and the broken. Verse 3 says, When I am afraid... 
I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise or whose promise I praise. In God, I trust I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Then beginning in verse eight, he writes. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Oh, saints, the Lord is at hand. He's that close to the needy. He sees our tossing in our beds. He sees our tears on our pillows. When you do this, he says, my enemies will turn back in the day when I call this. I know that God is for me in God, whose word I praise in the Lord, whose word I praise in God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Nothing. Nothing. God has promised eternal life to me. He's promised his personal care for me. He's promised his compassion is toward me. And so when I'm anxious or when I'm irritated in life, I can stop and remember this, that God has promised peace. God has promised peace and provided it through his son's death. He has promised me peace because he reconciled my war against him by sacrificing his son in my place. He's promised me peace with him through Christ. He's promised me assurance that my name is already written in the Lamb's book of life. He's promised me he is personally, presently at work in my life here on earth. This is not a hope by and by in the future one day. This is my abiding hope presently. He is with me. I am not anxious because the Lord is at hand. Now, when I am anxious, I have to remember this. Because we do become anxious. Let's be honest. We become discouraged. We're afraid. When we have enemies, when we have strife in our families, we become anxious and we default to the flesh. That's when we need the word of truth to give us a peaceful promise. Remind us that Christ died to guarantee this. Our lives will be changed by God's grace. The fifth reason we should rejoice in the Lord is revealed in Philippians 4, 10 to 23. This is the fifth reason that Paul reminds us to rejoice in the Lord. He says, I personally, he's speaking of himself, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. See, they're, they're concerned their concern turned Paul's circumstance into praise. His, his trial, his suffering, being relieved by the love of the saints, turned his trial into a worship service. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. But he says now in verse 11, not, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in all or any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet. It's just so personal here. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians. Yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel that I left Macedonia, when I left Macedonia, rather, 
No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. See, and look how he describes the gift. Not, not so much in tangible things, but in spiritual things. It was a fragrant offering. It was a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God, our God, partners. Look, he's, he's combining his life with theirs. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your attitude, your spirit. Here, Paul reveals that we should rejoice in the Lord's precious people, our gospel partners. Every Christian is essential and a part of God's providential plan here on earth. Paul recognized that. Paul spoke to them very pastorally here, very compassionately here. Not above them, not over them, but with them. He said, I am, I am in this with you. It's our God that we give thanks to. Every saint here worships Jesus Christ with you. Even those who are converted because of my imprisonment that are now in Caesar's household. It's, it's the Lord's precious people, he's telling us here. It's the Lord's precious people that grant us... Joy and perseverance here on earth. It's the Lord's precious people that, that grant us joy and perseverance in times of trials in our life, personally, and in our ministry while we're here serving together for Jesus' sake. Without the Lord's precious people, our ministry and our lives would be miserable. We would be discouraged. We'd be overwhelmed if we thought all of this was on our shoulders alone. But God has placed precious people around us to carry these burdens with us and for us as an offering to God. He wasn't rejoicing over the food and the drink and the money that they sent. He was rejoicing over their spirit in which they sent it. It was an offering to God. That's why we are reminded of this, I think, in this text. We're reminded to rejoice in the Lord here as he does. Because God provides partners for us. Sometimes they're beginning primarily in our families and then moving into our church families and outside even to our Christian friends. But God provides partners to promote his gospel and to care for his people. He, he provides us gospel partners, precious people, to personally and compassionately prepare us for ministry. That's what we learn. Go back with me to see this. That's what we learn in Romans 12. Romans 12. Beginning in verse 4. Paul was even rejoicing in the Lord's precious people here in this text. He says, For as in one body we have many members, 
And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let agape be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. We can rejoice in the Lord when we see this taking place in our lives. When we see people loving us with a genuine God-like love. Showing us affection. Showing us honor. Caring for us. Fervent in spirit, serving us, rejoicing in hope, even being patient with us when we go through tribulations, walking beside of us in trials, showing us hospitality. What we're seeing is the love of God manifest to us tangibly. And these precious people around us. And when we feel overwhelmed in life and in our ministries, we can stop and remember this. We can stop and remember that God places precious people in our lives to show us how much he himself truly cares for us personally. See, every saint is an expression of God's grace. And every Christian in your life that's encouraged you and edified you is a direct revelation of God's love for you. So rejoice in those precious people in your life that God uses to equip you for the work of ministry. Rejoice in those precious people daily. Rejoice in those precious people through prayer and outreach and encouragement. Rejoice in them because God has placed them there for a divine reason. You need them. I need them. Paul recognized that he needed them. Not so much for the tangible, but for the spiritual encouragement that he received in his imprisonment. He recognized them as gifts from a good and a sovereign God. And we should recognize them as that also. And I want to do that this morning by calling on you to pray for one another as we conclude our service this morning. I want you to rejoice over those precious people around you that encourage you. Let's do that together right now. Father, we thank you for all the saints. But in particular, Lord, we thank you for those that you have placed in direct Alignment with our lives. Those you have positioned right beside us in our homes, our spouses, our children. Those that we interact with on a weekly basis in the, in the community of the saints as we gather corporately. Those that, that you just put in our life that we, we interact with daily through work or through conversations. We recognize that these precious people are expressions of your concern and care for us. 
you are providing them to help sanctify us, to set us apart, to do your will. And we thank you for that. We ask that you would help us to always rejoice when we are anxious and we are overwhelmed or we are discouraged. We are caught off guard by sin and selfishness. We pray that we would always look to the provisions we have in Christ and your promises and your plan. Lord, I pray that you would keep us heavenly minded so that we would be of earthly good. I do believe that is your will and desire for your church. So I pray that that blessing would be upon your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.